0: Welcome to this podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. It publishes original research and topical reviews on basic and clinical aspects of gastrointestinal sensation and motility, as well as brain gut interactions. It is the official journal of the American Neurogastroenterology and Motility Society and the European Society of Neurogastroenterology and Motility. Welcome everyone to this month's podcast from Neurogastroenterology and Motility. My name is Adam Farmer and I'm a gastroenterologist at the Wingate Institute in London. And this month it's my great pleasure to welcome Professor Stephen Vanner. Stephen is a professor and director of the Gastrointestinal Diseases Research Unit at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario in uh, Canada stop. So, Stephen, uh, welcome to the podcast and congratulations to you and your co authors on your paper entitled Concurrent Psychological Stress and Infectious Colitis is Key to Sustained Enhanced Peripheral Sensory Signaling, which is published in this month's uh, journal. So, Stephen, could you give me some uh, background to the epiphenomenon that we know as uh, post infectious irritable bowel syndrome?
1: Well, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, we're uh, really uh, excited to uh, tell you about our study. Post infectious irritable bowel syndrome is a very common uh, disorder. Um, I think, as everyone knows, uh, irritable bowel syndrome itself is extremely common. And uh, we believe that about uh, 10% of patients with irritable bowel syndrome um, start with uh, an enteric infection. And we can usually detect that by history because. um rather than a sort of insidious onset of their symptoms it's very abrupt um, typical of an enteric infection and and then uh they clear the infection but these uh very uh, distressing symptoms of abdominal discomfort and and typically diarrhea persist uh often for many years and uh there's been a couple of notable outbreaks uh, around the world um certainly in the UK and and one in Canada uh... as an example and and we've learned a couple of important lessons from from looking at this cohort of patients one is that um, uh... Is around the predictors of who uh... out of this group might have these persisting symptoms and one is the severity of the infection and the duration the other intriguing aspect of this is that uh, psychological factors seem to be an important predictor of whether you uh, may get sustained symptoms and that that's uh, what's uh, led us to our interest in this area
0: so you suggest that uh, stress and psychological symptoms um, may may play a role in the development of post-infectious uh, IBS what's already known around uh, uh, this this topic uh, in that context
1: well we've known for a long time that, that stress is related to the irritable bowel syndrome and, and psychological factors uh, it's I think pretty clear now that stress is not the cause uh, of irritable bowel syndrome as it was once thought but it, it can be an important trigger and it can certainly uh, aggravate and, and worsen symptoms Now, as you might imagine, stress can affect us uh, uh, centrally um, through our our cognition and uh, amplify our sensory signaling in the brain, but we've been particularly interested in another area is how the uh, stress signaling through hormones in the sympathetic nervous system might be altering pain regulation that's generating from the gut. And there have been a couple of important studies in the past that have uh, shown both in animal models and in humans that uh, indeed stress can have uh, important effects on on altering pain signaling. We don't know all the mechanisms behind this, but there's uh, evidence that at least in some patients that it may be related to changes in permeability in the epithelium, which which maybe allow more microbiome signaling, for example, to the, to the, in, the immune system and And Indeed, um, even though when we take biopsies from patients and, and send them to a pathologist and they come back uh, reported as normal, if we start looking for more subtle signs of mediators uh, such as cytokines or uh, proteases or histamine, Uh, These are elevated, and and we know from studies that they can sensitize the nerves in the gut. And so um, we and others have shown uh, in the past that when you um, add stress to infection, that this can lead to sustained uh, pain signaling in the intestine.
0: Okay, so so how does that bring you to the the hypothesis uh, of the study that you performed
1: So, as I mentioned, uh, we've known about this potential interaction, but we really don't know the specific details behind this. And and this is going to be crucial to uh, understanding uh, what possible treatments could emerge from this. So, we were interested to know how intimately stress needs to be related to the infection itself in order to lead to these sustained symptoms. And uh, so we had the hypothesis that the stress had to be occurring at the time of the infection to enable the maximal interaction between the inflammatory mediators and the immune mediators that were being driven by these two pathways, one being the stress hormone signaling and the other being the infection.
0: So, what methods did you, did you use to test uh, this hypothesis regarding the temporal relation of stress to, to the development of longevity of symptoms?
1: Well, we've uh, used the uh, citrobacter rodentium um, model of uh, colitis in mice. And we chose this model because it turns out that citrobacter rodentium, uh, parallels in many ways the uh, effects of E. coli infection in humans, um, which we know is one of the causes of post-infectious IBS uh, in, in patients. So it turns out that this uh, um, organism, this bacteria, has the same attaching and effacing properties as a E. coli infection, it causes a self-limiting colitis that lasts for uh, 10 to 15 days, and then it resolves spontaneously. So we were then able to, um, in parallel with inducing this infection, introduce uh, a stressor at various time points. And the stressor that we've used is called water avoidance stress. And this is a fairly uh, simple model where you place um, the uh, mouse on a platform uh, surrounded by water. And you do this for an hour a day, and we typically would do it for nine days in a row. Now, we've shown in the past that when you do that, it does induce uh, an anxiety state in these animals. And we've measured epinephrine and corticosterone and shown that these are elevated. And uh we've also measured behavioral changes and shown that uh, the animals um, uh have evidence of anxiety. So we then uh combine these two models and I'll come back to the time points, which are important in a moment, uh um, but to measure whether it's altering sensory signaling, we then uh make recordings from the dorsal root ganglion neurons, the nociceptive neurons that are innervating the colon and we measure changes in excitability of the neurons and in particular, uh, for those who are familiar with electrophysiology, we look at changes in the rheobase and the number of action potentials that are discharged to two times the rheobase. The rheobase of course is the minimal amount of current required to induce an action potential.
0: So what were your, what were your key results?
1: Well, the the key findings were that um, we first wanted to ask the question, well, if we induce this um, infection and then we apply a stress at a later time point, does that make any difference than if we just apply a stress alone? And what we found was that there was no effect. In other words, there did seem to be something to this relationship of the timing between the infection and the stressful event. So we then set up our important next experiment, which was the key experiment, where we had two groups of animals. In one animal group, we applied multiple stressors around the time of the infection. So this was just before the infection, during the acute infection, and during the resolution stage. And we compared that to the other group that received multiple stressors alone, but not infection. And then we looked at the distant time point, which was 40 days, which was well beyond uh, resolution of the infection. And what we found was that in the group that had received the multiple stressors during the time and around the time of infection, they had the sustained pain signaling compared to the group that just received the stress alone. So it fit with our hypothesis that there is an important interaction between the infection and the uh, stress signaling. Now, you might um, have wondered that, well, maybe you've just induced more inflammation and these animals have sustained inflammation. But we showed that, in fact, that's not the case when you look at their body weight or uh, when we sent uh, the um, tissues off to our GI pathologist, um, he couldn't find, using routine H and E staining, any signs of uh, exaggerated inflammation in the animals that received both the infection and the stress. So um, we b- believe that uh, there is an important interaction that's going on between. Uh, the immune modulation related to stress and the uh, infectious a- agents.
0: So, so that brings me on nicely to, to, to what do you think the, the, the clinical implications are for, for our patients and particularly those who, who develop uh, infectious gastroenteritis?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of key messages here. Firstly, um, one of the things uh as I'm sure you're aware as a gastroenterologist it's challenging for patients and for physicians is understand why they have ongoing symptoms despite the fact that when we do all our testing everything uh, appears to be normal and I think this provides um, a, um, a nice explanation for uh, how um, patients can have uh, sustained symptoms due to this initial uh, insult and uh, it also might start to help us understand uh, some possible interventions. To give you an example, uh, if we have a patient who, who has known chronic anxiety, for example, um, and uh, has a uh, acute gastroenteritis, maybe some more aggressive intervention um, might um, Prevent them from having chronic symptoms, for example, behavioral therapy or short term uh, medication. Alternatively, uh, if we know, uh, as this study would suggest, that this and as the human studies have suggested are a particularly vulnerable group, then uh, more aggressive therapy as well directed towards inflammatory mediators uh, may also um, help to mitigate uh, from them having the uh, long term symptoms.
0: And that uh, will will inevitably uh, improve outcomes. One would have thought. What, mm-hmm. what, what do you think are the key uh, research questions and knowledge gaps uh, that that re- that remain in this field now?
1: Well, I think that um, we need to delve uh, more deeply into this relationship, even beyond what we've done. Um, it, it, we've, uh, for example, we provided uh, stress to maximize the signal uh, before and during the infection. And understanding better, even in more detail, uh, when the key timing is might help us to understand uh, the mechanism. And uh, for example, uh, what are the key mediators during this interaction? Are they uh, stress hormones that are signaling to the tissue? and and amplifying um, somehow uh, certain proteases or histamine or are they signaling directly to the neurons. Uh the the other uh speculative aspect of this is that uh it may uh lead to exaggerated microbiome signaling and, and as you know this is a, uh a very contentious uh, and interesting area And so one possibility could be that with stress, uh, there may be even greater uh, permeability, which would amplify microbiome signaling. Microbiome signaling itself has been um, shown to to have uh, CNS effects in terms of psychological factors. So this could set up a um, bidirectional signaling pathway that, could uh, lead to uh, ongoing symptoms. So delving into the mechanism and finding out uh, in more depth what the key signaling pathways are, I think will be, uh, will be very important.
0: And uh, certainly will no doubt uh, provide new uh, treatment targets uh, for the future.
1: Absolutely, that's uh, certainly the hope.
0: So, uh, with that, uh, Stephen, I'd like to thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast this month, and also to our, our listeners for for tuning in. I look forward to welcoming you all again uh, on another instalment of the podcast uh, next month. Further information about this paper can be found on the journal website. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast, and we look forward to welcoming you to next month's edition.